Hello, and welcome to Innovators Can Laugh with Eric Melcher. Eric is a social entrepreneur, marketing geek for a tech startup, an American expat living in Romania, and a mediocre tennis player. Admiring the drive and vision of entrepreneurs everywhere, Eric dives into the interesting and fascinating stories of innovators from Eastern Europe. Here now is your host, Eric Melcher. Do you think Romanians express more or less emotions than the French? Well, my guest Adela Barbulescu, co-founder of Imaface, and I chat about that and how she's developing a tool to help people with autism in today's show. Let's jump right into the conversation. Adela, welcome to Innovators Can Laugh. ¿Cómo estás? Ah, estoy muy bien, gracias. Okay, so last time we spoke, you took some time away from Paris to go work in Barcelona. How is that going? How is Spain treating you? I'm trying to see how to build the perfect work day, which involves waking up to a nice cup of coffee, some nice salted breakfast. And then the usual day in which we have reunions and work and all this kind of stuff. And then go to the beach, do some snorkeling, hang around. Oh, okay. I was going to say you can't get the nice coffee and the nice city view in Paris, but what's missing is the snorkeling. Yeah, I, there we go. That's what's missing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's start off with doing an ICL round. And it's basically a few light, quirky questions that will help us get to know you better. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so first question. What was the worst job in your life? Oh, it's a bit hard to say because I didn't have many jobs. <laughs> okay. Um, honestly, I liked all the jobs that I had. And Lucky it's you. Hard to think of something that was that I didn't like. Okay. Did you have a bad professor? What was the worst teacher you ever had in your life? And you don't have to say his or her name, but you could just say something yeah. that they did. I'm trying to think. Bad professor. Maybe, yeah, maybe this involves people having a hard time communicating what they want and changing their minds every other reunion. But it, it's something that happens in research quite a lot. So I had to learn to write down, maybe even record and say, okay, this is what we discussed. This is what we planned to do. So let's stick to this. Yeah, that was probably mostly in higher studies, not necessarily like in high school or, or even undergrad, I'm imagining. Yeah. Okay. Second question. What show or movie have you watched again and again? <gasps> okay. Again and again. Yeah, the shows that I always go back to are... Yay! Uh, I'm a big yeah, Scrubs. Okay. I've seen a few of those. It's funny, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I've only seen this twice, but I'm sure I'm going to see it many times, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Okay, sci-fi. So there's a little yeah. sci-fi in there. Okay, I should check that out. I haven't seen that one yeah. yet. It's really good. Okay. Third question, if you could only pick one person to join you in trying to get out of an escape room, who would that be? Honestly, based on, okay, so I, I've been in many escape rooms because I like this a lot. And the one person that has always brought easy, nice insights has been my niece. Your, your niece? She's, yeah, so every time I play with her, I mean, starting eight years old, Eight-year-old to an escape room? <laughs> Definitely. And she's, she's also short, so she sees all the stuff that's 
on the <laughs> on the lower side that we we mostly don't see and yeah. yeah she sees things very fast so yeah until now she's been the perfect candidate yeah that that makes a lot of sense because they're thinking of I've only done this like once or twice and you tend to overanalyze things whereas from a child perspective they just see things as they are and they're probably exactly. a lot of quick and yeah they can grasp things more quickly interesting good to know I need to think about taking my nephews and nieces. They're about that age. Never thought about that. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit. Let's go back to your childhood. Where did you grow up and, and what was it like, Adela? <laughs> I grew up in a small town called Slatina in the south part of Romania, two hours away from Bucharest. And it was a very nice childhood, big house growing up with the grandparents also. I spent a lot of time with, with animals and trees in nature. So this was very cool. <laughs> Did you have any shores that your grandparents, that Bunica or Bunico gave to you when you were younger? I think one of the coolest parts was growing up with traditions and myths and stories. Even <laughs> if we knew that these were just stories, I, I grew really fond of them. And like random stuff, like I can fortune tell from the coffee, this kind of stuff. They knew many things and they liked to pass on this knowledge. And even if we know it's not real, it has a very specific charm. Interesting. For, for a second there, I thought the police were coming after you with all those sirens in the background. Maybe Barcelona is not as uh, safe and nice <laughs> as uh, you imagine there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you had a great, really nice background. I also have this Huckleberry Finn type background where it wasn't necessarily in the country or in the woods, but I used to shoot my BB gun and catch crawfish. And it was a lot of fun being outdoors a lot. Now, what did you do in high school? Were you involved in a lot of activities or clubs? What was that like? In our case, there wasn't much to do. <laughs> Very small town. And I think also we, we didn't have much this education of doing activities. It was just try to have straight A's, then you'll be set up for life. <laughs> just <laughs> utter nonsense. The one thing that I did, which also got me away from the town, was joining in on contests on math and physics. Like I went to the Olympiad and stuff. I spent time doing that, which is a bit extra curricular time. And then the rest of the time was just listening to music. We were all into rock music, so there was the little group doing that kind of stuff. Do you have any songs that you still have memorized from that era, from those rock groups? Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, definitely. So everything from Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Metallica. Okay, the hard stuff. Yeah. Okay. So in 2006, now correct me if I'm wrong, you went on to pursue a computer science degree in Polytechnica in Bucharest. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was 2006. Yeah. And then right after that, you decided, hey, I want to get my master's, and that's what you did after that? Yeah, I really liked being a student. I don't think I was ready to go and work or whatever. And it wasn't, I never had a very big plan, just thinking, okay, what can I do to continue learning? So I, I, I was always, like all my life, I was very um, into visual arts and everything that's visual. So I discovered computer vision, the field of how, how can you process images and videos to extract information using technology. Yeah, I just wanted to do anything in that area. So I found a master's in Denmark that was into computer vision and cognitive systems. 
Wow. So Copenhagen, you were there for a couple of years pursuing your master's degree. And what was the next big important decision that you took after that? So it was, in fact, in a small town in the north called Olborg. Uh, and it took the master's have taken two years. But in the second year, I realized I could be even more international, go on another year somewhere away. So I said, okay, let's try that. And it just so happened that the teacher had had a nice position somewhere in Barcelona at the Computer Vision Center. It was okay. winter. So I was like, okay, I will definitely go there. <laughs> and um, yeah, this was the next decision that took me one step closer to what I'm doing now. Like going to pursue the second year of master in, let's say, in a research assistant position. Okay. And you did the research uh, assistant position in Spain? Yeah. Yeah. So it was in this really nice research lab in which, yeah, like many teams, they were all pursuing different interests, such as automatic document transcription, NLP. And I was working on 3D pose estimation from videos, like videos with people from which you would extract information on their skeleton, like where their limbs are in the 3D coordinates. Interesting. Now, was the program in Spanish or in English? Did you have a, a, tough, time, a tough time with the language or did you know Spanish already? As you may have met, maybe more people from, from Romania that seem to somehow know Spanish from their upbringing on telenovelas. My wife is one of those people, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> she said that a teacher named Thalia uh, taught her. <laughs> yes. She, I don't know if she realizes, but she was a very good teacher. <laughs> and yeah, just like my grandma would listen, he would watch this. I would do my homework nearby and just stuck. So when I got here in Spain, I could speak Spanish, but it wasn't really necessary. I didn't do classes or anything and everybody spoke English. Okay. So as you're working as a research assistant, your next move, I think, was going to pursue your PhD. And was that? Yeah. Yeah. So as I was working there, I realized I really liked the environment and I really liked the idea of like fundamental research. We're not looking for a purpose per se. We don't have a clear objective. We just want to know what's out there to learn and to extract information from. I was like, okay, I really like the academic environment. I love the people that, that work in this field. And yeah, I just wanted to find some PhD program that would seem interesting. And I found this one in France that was initially based on virtual cinematography on the idea of creating virtual actors. That's all I knew about it, the title. Like, okay, cinematography, <laughs> virtual. I carried the, over the summer, I carried all the, the interviews, everything, and I got accepted. Throughout the, the three years of PhD, the subject kind of twisted uh, according to what, what we were doing. And basically, in the end, what I did was creating statistical models for how people express emotions. Okay, it's making virtual actors that are based on like a database that we recorded with real actors. That we asked them to express uh, different emotions with a predefined set of sentences. And we would capture using like mocap systems, we would capture the facial expressions, head motion, eye gaze, and then also the voice. And by analyzing all this audiovisual information, we would be able to use neural networks and really extract information that is particular to a certain emotion and then be able to transfer this to a 3D avatar and make it express that emotion for a new phrase. Basically. Interesting. 
Okay, so out of curiosity, how many facial expressions or emotions can a human do? I wonder if some people maybe limit themselves and just do a few dozen, and other people maybe have hundreds. What have you seen in your... Yeah, this is a very interesting subject. We know that this depends immensely on the culture also, on the environment that we are exposed to. How language also shapes a lot what we know about the world. And the thing like in, where was it? In Alaska, there are, I don't know how many hundreds of words for snow. It goes a bit the same for, for emotions. There are cultures in which you have much more words for certain emotions. And that also influences how people can feel them. So if you know something exists, you will have a better appreciation, like a better filtering for the subtlety of that emotion. And like the, the database, the biggest database that I found about emotions is in English. Uh, it was made in Cambridge and it contains 412 labels for emotions. Okay. I have a feeling that that Romanians probably have more emotional expressions than maybe the French, but I could be wrong. Okay, you've lived in Paris, you've lived in Spain, you lived in Romania. What are your thoughts on that? Which culture has the more emotions? Oh, mm. more emotions. Not necessarily like in the database, but I'm just like wondering your experience, who does the more expressions? The thing with me is also that after a certain age, you tend to not see certain things. So I, I was clearly, I'm very well acknowledged with what Romanians express. So I can see these things much, much clearer than in other countries. And yeah, clearly, I think that Romanians express many things. Like there are so many things they can do with their faces, and especially in terms of, you know, like confusion. And I, I, yeah. I don't know if you've noticed. There's it's like, me. <laughs> yeah, there's, the, there's exactly that. Yeah. There's also like the Romanian shrug. I call it the, Roma the Romanian shrug. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a lot of different expressions I noticed here that my in-laws do or friends I've met. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And I think it's also, it depends a lot on how politeness and directness is shown. Like, for, for instance, I know that in Romania, the way your image and how you present yourself is very important. So I think sometimes people tend to hide and be, be very careful in the way that they express certain things. So that leaves maybe room for much more creativity in terms of what you can express. While in other places, like in Denmark, people are very direct and it's all out there. There's no, <laughs> the body doesn't show signs of something that it wouldn't be of what is not said, but what is felt. It sounds so. Thing. It sounds like the culture is so different than Spain or even maybe even France and Denmark. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Okay. So as you're doing this, and what happened that that sparked the idea of Emma Face? And we'll we'll get into Emma Face in just a second. But was it during this time, or or did it come later that you thought, hey, there's a potential opportunity for using these tools and this technology to help treat? autism when did that come i think it came in two steps first it was you know precisely as i mentioned this emotional database with 412 emotions this was used so it contained many videos and it was made by the by a psychologist to train people with autism 
to recognize emotions. So that was when I first understood that there was a link, a very strong link between emotions and autistic people. And I started re reading a lot about it. it. Was I found it very interesting. And then it was towards the end of my studies that I was, okay, what, what can I go on? I, I've, I've kept being a student. What can I do to learn more or to whatever? And I realized that I wanted to do something more concrete and to really make an application of what I had been developing until then. And that's when I, I discussed with a local incubator, like a network of incubators in France that help researchers valorize the technology that they create in the labs in order to uh, use them in a company that they would found. So I discussed with one of these uh, incubators. I explained that I have an idea for using this tech for uh, treatment in autism. And uh, eventually the project got accepted in 2017. So I, I've been working on it since then. And how many organizations have you worked with that can help experiment and test the application? Um, in the very beginning, I was contacting a lot of, you know, like uh, independent health professionals, you know, like psychologists and speech therapists, and then a lot of structures. Like th there are many in France. These are like either associations or what they call social medical structures, where kids can go receive education and treatment. And so. It started by doing kind of a market study, like just discussing with them, showing them the prototypes that I had. And until now, I think I've done demos and observations in more than 200 structures. And eventually now we're going towards meeting bigger associations, like national level, so that we have a bigger impact. All right. Okay. And I understand there's also a co-founder, somebody you met, her name's Myra. She's a Brazilian, background is UX design. Did you meet her when you were working as a research assistant or when did you develop that relationship? I met her just at the beginning of when, when the emo phase got accepted to this incubator. I was uh, precisely looking for associations in Grenoble where they work with uh, kids with autism. And she was there working as she was playing with the kids on a benevol. How do you call this in English? Like she was doing. A, Voluntary yeah, work. Volu yeah, volunteer. Yeah. Volunteer. Yeah. So the, yeah, the director of the association put us in contact. She realized that uh, we can do stuff together. Great. So the application, what you've done is gamified it. You've made it like an educational video game. It has these interactive avatars. Is it just primarily through the mobile app or is it also in desktop? We're developing in Unity, so that allows for cross-platform. We decided to start with tablet because kids work very well with tablets. They can learn very fast from them. But then, yeah, we'll also uh, launch a version for PC because there are many professionals that prefer the PC. When it comes to treatment for autism, what are some of the bad recommendations that you typically hear in this area, Adela? There is clearly a history in France that has taken a huge toll on the the advance yeah the advancement on the the clinical take on autism and specifically it's a psychoanalytical view of the origins of autism so basically i think in the 80s there was a psycho psychoanalysis researcher who said that it is the fault of mothers that uh, kids get autism 
because I know that they were too cold or that they didn't show enough affection when they were babies. And that made them have the behaviors that they have. So this influenced a lot the kind of therapies and how autism was viewed for quite a long time. And there are still universities where teachers do this kind of, they teach this. So, the, yeah, the, there are many associations that try to fight against it and try to spread the, the correct information. Okay. Now, when it comes to what your platform provides, like what is the one key takeaway that you want to make sure that the audience gets from Emmaface? I think it's important for people to understand the role of learning emotions. It's, it's not that intuitive for everybody. To understand the role between basically a behavior, when you see a, a kid who, who becomes extremely angry and he has a crisis all of a sudden, maybe parents don't understand what happened. And usually the origin of this is a frustration that is based on the fact that they cannot communicate how they feel. It's it's this thing that's a bit troubled, and this is where they have many difficulties. How can I express what I want? How can I express the emotion? And then a second point would be understanding that when you try to help the kids, you have to keep in mind that they have a perceptual system that's a bit different, that they have hypersensibilities, for instance, and that means that they need systems that are adapted for them and playing with visual context uh, yeah so visual content games these are very efficient even if it's a bit counterintuitive some people think these are just gadgets but yeah using the games and fun visual stuff works great for learning okay and the tool, is it only available in France right now or is it also available in other? It's available all over the world at the moment in three languages, so it's in French, uh, English, and Romanian. Wonderful. Another question for you real quick. If you were to go back five years from now, is, is what you're doing now how you imagine your life would be? No, not at all. I would have had What did you no think idea. you'd be doing at that? Maybe continuing on research in some country. <laughs> okay. All right. Adela, thanks so much for being on Innovators Can Laugh. For everyone listening, uh, until next week, this is Eric Melcher saying goodbye, la revedere, au revoir, and adios. <laughs> thanks so much, Eric. Goodbye. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to write to me, my address is innovatorscanlab at substack.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Melcher underscore Eric, on Facebook or Instagram at Innovators Can Laugh. I'm Eric Melcher, and you are listening to Innovators Can Laugh.